0: And now for something completely different.
1: Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Get Cocky Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler. Got a great show for y'all today. Will Helms, as always, for his usual Monday segment after Carolina gets back on track. A not totally convincing but certainly much needed win against Vanderbilt it is now 11 years in a row against the Commodore South Carolina wins it 24 to 7 at Williams-Price Stadium it was a night game pretty decent atmosphere I was I guess pleasantly surprised at the atmosphere of the game and uh, like like the score would indicate 24 to 7 kind of business-like approach nothing that absolutely knocks your socks off and get into some of the bigger implications of what that is and uh, talk to Wilhelms about what those numbers look like I have a feeling it was a good game statistically for Carolina, so I'll be very curious. This is kind of like a litmus test for me in terms of how much I trust the pro football focus numbers. I, I've generally been on board with everything that they've had to say about this football team all year. This seems like a game where everyone could have graded out well, and we'll have to dig a little bit deeper in terms of finding answers for why this wasn't a little bit more convincing win for Carolina because it felt like a, a blowout was well within the realm of possibility, um, at least you know given the talent disparity, given how comfortably Carolina was able to cruise to that twenty four seven win after a, a rocky start in the for, in the first quarter, excuse me. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Before we get started, though, I want to remind you guys to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you like it and you want to hear more of it because that really helps us. Um, and when you do that, you'll get all the another Carolina podcast that Wes and Chris and I do. They do their no huddles on Mondays. We do that on Wednesdays. All three of us, the Commit Cast. And then as basketball season starts to roll around, we'll have some more stuff for y'all there as well. So don't forget again, subscribe to the Gamecock Central podcast feed. All right. So as I mentioned. 24-7, to seven. and I guess we'll start with the offense because that's where most of the question marks have been for this team this year. 24 points is kind of where South Carolina's lived. They have not yet broken 30. The most they have scored against an FBS opponent is 27. That was against Florida, and it doesn't really seem to matter. The quality of opponent, which in, in some ways is nice and in some ways is even more frustrating. Carolina was obviously able to notch 20 against Georgia. They were able to score 20. 7 against florida they were able to score 23 i think it was against alabama so it doesn't matter if they're playing a great team or if they're playing a mediocre team like vanderbilt that's just kind of where they live and again there's something to that that may be i guess comforting you kind of know what you're going to get and if you're if you're travaris robinson you know exactly what you need your defense to do if south carolina is going to get a win and i mean you look at the games that they've lost it was 41 to tennessee and 43 to alabama and 34 to Missouri, and basically if you let them score more than 20 or 24 points, South Carolina is not going to win the football game. The question of why, though, is one that's perplexed me, and I've mentioned this many times on this podcast. It's been sort of a common thread. There are reasons and there are excuses. There are different ways to explain what's happening, what's going wrong, and, and or rather what's not going right with the South Carolina offense. Saturday was, I think, a really interesting case because a lot of the variables that we've tried to isolate and say, well, you know, this seems to be the heart of the issue, you know, weren't really a factor for the last couple of games, Helenski's health has been a question mark really ever since the Missouri game where he's been, you know, a little bit banged up. Not that he's a super mobile guy, but I- impacting his ability to move around the pocket to elude pressure just enough to get passes away. And even at times it seemed like stepping into his throws, especially that Florida game it seemed like he was, you know, maybe protecting that knee a little bit so he wasn't stepping all the way into his throws, missing some of those long balls. That's been a big factor. He looked great on Saturday. He was 24 of 31. Um, Didn't have a you know very high yard per attempt. He did have a, a couple of nice, feel, uh, nice down the field passes. There was the one touchdown pass to Brian Edwards that apparently was a good audible by Helensky in addition to it being a good throw. And a couple other ones. And again, statistically fine game, 24 of 31, 254 yards or something like that. Had a touchdown, no interceptions. He continues the nation's longest streak of pass attempts without an interception, which is important. Again, when you're playing these games with very slim margins, where you're kind of relying on your defense to help you not lose the football game. It helps when you have a quarterback that doesn't turn the football over, so that's nice. Uh, the running game was not great, but fine. Deshaun Fenwick came in and, and filled in admirably, with Tavian Feaster a little bit banged up with Denson, uh, you know, fumbling early. And so I guess in the coach's doghouse, obviously, Rico Dowdle still recovering from that injury. And Kevin Harris coming back and playing in his first game since tearing a tendon off of his pubic bone, which sounds absolutely like the worst injury I've ever heard of in sports. But he came in and he ran well, rushed for over 100 yards. Tavian Feaster added another 11 carries for 80, 90 yards, something like that. It was, you know, a below average rushing performance for South Carolina based on how well they've run the ball this year, but was by no stretch a a bad game. Brian Edwards continued his outstanding senior season, 14 catches, tying a school record for most catches in a game, had the touchdown pass, just did Brian Edwards things, caught, you know, some of Holinsky's darts that you feel like most of the other guys on the team wouldn't catch, and just had an all around great performance. Say maybe Shai Smith didn't play in this game. That, that could be sort of an explanation, but he hasn't exactly been someone that Carolina could rely on all season long. And then behind that, it's kind of been a fiasco all year for Carolina, and I think there has been some conversation, and I may have even suggested this was part of the problem, is Carolina doesn't have kind of a third playmaker behind those guys, whether it's a tight end, although Nick Muse, who's now out for the season, has been pretty reliable, or rather been an interesting playmaking option. Kyle Markway has been the more reliable of the tight ends. Nick Muse has had a couple drops this year. Kyle Markway pretty sure-handed in terms of what he does. But Josh Vann, Xavier Leggett, or Trey Smith, Chavis Dawkins, none of those guys has really been able to pop. But I started to think about it, I, I guess, this weekend and, and realized today that, that was that's probably not why this team's not good, because there are a lot of other teams that are a lot more impressive offensively than South Carolina. And it's not because they have three or four NFL-caliber receivers. Maybe they have one, if they're lucky. It, you know, the Alabamas of the world and the Oklahomas, you know, they have multiple playmakers that are of that caliber, but by and large, people don't have just top to bottom, all your receivers are awesome. So I don't think that's a very good excuse for why South Carolina has been ineffective on offense, even in the passing game. Will Helms had great stats last week, and I'll be curious to hear sort of an updated version of those, where basically South Carolina, when Ryan Helensky's throwing to South Carolina's receivers three through, you know, whatever, basically throwing to not Brian Edwards or Shy Smith, his numbers are like the worst in the SEC or near the bottom. And when he's throwing to Brian Edwards and Shai Smith, he's like near the top, third and fourth, you know, behind guys like Tua and Joe Burrow. So I don't really think that's the problem. And then you could say, well, you know, the offensive line, but they played reasonably well, given that, you know, they were starting a, a true freshman in Ja'Kai Moore, and then obviously was replaced by Eric Douglas in the second half of that right tackle position, in addition to some of the other youth and, like, relative inexperience that's on that line. But they had a fine game. Again, blocked the run reasonably well. Not outstanding, but fine. And didn't give up any sacks. Didn't give up a whole lot of pressures on Helensky. So you look at all those things and say, well, what in the world was the difference? It was 440 some yards. It was nine of 15 on third downs and Carolina left some points on the board. They had to kick a field goal from either the, the six or the seven yard line. And then obviously there's the possession that everyone's talking about and banging their head against the wall because of where South Carolina decided they were just going to go for it. They they were committed to attempting to score a touchdown on four straight plays. They had first and goal from the seven second and goal from the two and then third and goal from either the three or four and then a fourth and goal from the one or the two, was not able to punch it in. And so I've been wondering, because the the number seems to be bothering people, and I think rightfully so. When you say Carolina hasn't scored more than 27 points against an FBS opponent, are they going to crack that 30? It's a somewhat arbitrary distinction that Wes and Chris and I talked about a lot since the, I guess, Missouri game, and I don't know, I, I keep bringing back up, and now I feel bad because it's it's not really what we're looking for in, in terms of in terms of assessing how effective and efficient this offense is. Obviously, that has you know more to do with the performance than necessarily the points that you put on the board. But I wonder how much that would make people feel better if Carolina was able to punch that in because 31-7 seems a lot more convincing because they would have actually scored 30 in a game against an FBS opponent, even though it's a team that is very near the bottom in pretty much every single defensive category there is. They're like 114th in total defense and they're last in the SEC in scoring defense and all these other things. So South Carolina should have put a show on, and again, statistically they did, but it wasn't there in the numbers. How much are fans upset about the performance and sort of like the unscrutable nature of like just why wasn't it better? It just didn't, oh, I guess, I don't even want to say it didn't look pretty because it looked fine. It didn't look great. And clearly there are still some issues there. And I think that's one of those things that's hard to exactly determine. And again, like I said, in a game like this, where, you know, everything goes pretty well and looks pretty good, I feel like we're kind of back to where we've been the last couple of weeks, which is just that, there's something about the coaching, about the preparation, about situational play calls, situational situational awareness, that just isn't there the way that it needs to be for Carolina to be even an average offensive team. Because they, it seems like they have the weapons, and at, sitting here at four and five, it's very easy to say Carolina is just not a very good football team, and they're not. But why is that? Do they actually have the talent, or is it just a matter of, you know, bias because? not even because we necessarily like this team or like these players, but you know, if you're just in Columbia and you're exposed to it and you're aware of them, you're sort of more, there's a name for it. I can't remember what it is, but there, there's a name for the psychological phenomenon where you are more predisposed to have positive feelings about something that you're more familiar with. So again, even if you're a Clemson fan listening to this and living in Columbia, you probably have a higher opinion about guys like Shai Smith and Josh van than somebody living in like Nebraska, even if they're a hardcore football fan, just because you're around it more. So How much is that sort of clouding our judgment, our ability to say, how good is this team actually? Are they really underperforming their talent? Or is this a four and five through nine games of the season kind of team? And I'm still unsure, but at this point leaning more than ever, again, especially based on what we saw on Saturday, that it has to do with coaching and whether that is adjustments, whether that's game plan or whether it is situational play calling, which I've never really specifically had a problem with, but, you know, something that maybe goes beyond the eye test, beyond the numbers, um, I don't really know, but, but either way, the output was disappointing for South Carolina on Saturday, even if some of the numbers look good, and that's why I'm very, very curious and excited to talk to Will here in just a couple minutes to see kind of what that bears out. The other side of the ball, defensively, Carolina did exactly what they needed to. Obviously, the, the headlines after the Tennessee game were that Carolina gave up 41, that they got burned on all those big plays, and yes, that was an issue. I thought, just like when people are upset about the defense after the North Carolina game, I thought it was maybe a little bit overblown. Yeah, they were terrible on those deep balls. And that has to be remedied, and and maybe that's something something that's fixable for Carolina this year. But, you know, they did a better job of getting after the quarterback this week. They were sort of back to that. They were back to slowing down the run. And it was really just the rushing the passer, I feel like, more than anything that was missing against Tennessee because the coverage, you know, good pass rush covers up coverage. And I think that's been the case for Carolina this year. So, you know, good run defense against Tennessee. It was just not able to get after the quarterback. They had more time, and their receivers were able to make plays. That was never really going to be an issue against Vanderbilt unless they were going to just go all in and try to get Kalijah Lipscomb going and try to get him the ball, you know, fifteen times like Carolina did for Brian Edwards. And fortunately for Carolina, he didn't play. And I think that's why this defensive performance is a little bit harder to to really make anything of. Uh, like I said, they they went in there and they did exactly what they needed to do. They rebounded after just what was an embarrassing performance against Tennessee. But even in an embarrassing performance, it's not like the numbers were gaudy. They. We're still able to hold Tennessee to 23 points. 14 of those are special teams. Um, But like I said, this Vanderbilt performance was smothering, held them to fewer than 200 yards. They were, I think three of 12 on third down. I don't have the number right in front of me, but it was something like that. And Vanderbilt only ran like 53 plays. South Carolina won the time of possession. The defense did a good job of, of making stops on early downs. Um, And of course, you know, forcing them to punt actually getting off the field at third downs, which it seems like they've struggled to do at times this season. Again, Nice to see them get back on track and do what they needed to, but it's hard to assess really that performance. This also doesn't even factor in, or I hadn't even mentioned yet, Mo Hassan, who was supposed to be the starter, who had won the starting job after winning the Missouri game, or I guess before winning the Missouri game for Vanderbilt, that huge upset, then it was Riley Neal because Mo Hassan was out with, or in concussion protocol, and then Riley Neal gets knocked out after leading Vanderbilt on a really impressive opening drive. One that was helped by penalty that maybe I thought was kind of a tic tac call, but was still an impressive drive nonetheless. And so I, I guess the one question mark that I have about this defensive performance is how different is this game if Riley Neal plays and is healthy the entire time? Because there's no doubt about it. There was a huge drop off from Riley Neal to Deuce Wallace. They, they weren't able to really throw the ball downfield. Not that I don't know if Riley, Riley Neal wasn't. He's not Tua. He's not Joe Burrow, but seemed to be more capable than Deuce Wallace. How much would Carolina have been able to adjust and continue to put on a pretty smothering performance? And. You know, how much would that have allowed Vanderbilt to sort of hang around? We don't really know. All we know is that from what we saw based on the defense, it was pretty solid. Nothing else uh, really to say about it. They've, they've done a good job of at least allowing Carolina to hang around in some of these games. And against Tennessee, against Florida, the offense just doesn't do enough to hang. And that's sort of where this team is right now. But I, I really think despite, you know, a lot of missed tackles against North Carolina, all the points given up against Alabama, and the ugly performance against Tennessee. I think this is still a really, really good defensive unit, probably the best one that Will Muschamp's had, and it really starts up front. My eye test, just initial thoughts from the game, are that Aaron Sterling probably was the best player of the game, maybe on both sides of the ball, but certainly on defense. I can't wait to hear uh, from Will whether or not he graded out that well. He continues to be an amazingly disruptive presence, despite the fact that he's undersized at defensive end, and it's just been really, really fun to watch this year. Um, Javon Kinlaw also had a pretty good game. Ernest Jones, I think, played well. R.J. Roderick. Doing a nice job in coverage. Don't get to say that a lot on this podcast, but made a really nice play on, I guess, a dangerously thrown ball, but still did a good job to jump the route, to get his hands on it, to not drop it, give Carolina a good field position to help put that game away, sort of, I guess, in that second half. Actually, I don't even remember if they did anything with that turnover. And now I can't remember, and I should look it up, but I'm not going to. But regardless, he played reasonably well. Not much to criticize in terms of the defensive performance other than giving up a lot of yards. I think about half of Vanderbilt's yards in that first quarter. They got it turned around, in which case either give Travares Robinson credit and say, made some adjustments, did what you needed to do, or just be very thankful that Riley Neal wasn't able to come back in the game and that Deuce Wallace didn't do the traditional backup quarterback playing against South Carolina deal. All right. Without further ado, let's get to uh, Will Helms. He's got the Pro Football focus numbers. He's been bringing in some S&P lately, too, which has been kind of fun. Get a couple different angles. Uh, the PFF is really good for specificity. The S&P stuff has been helpful to look at more big picture things, and that may be where we go today uh, because again by and large this felt like a good performance it looked like a good performance on the stat sheet but watching it there was something missing and there's something missing in the final score as well so hopefully he can figure help us figure out exactly what that is so here's what all right on the line with me now for his usual monday segment will helms of prep ra of gamecock central of twitter fame here to break down a very confusing game a very vanilla game And I said on my local show on 107.5 this morning that as up and down and as emotionally exhausting as the season has been, Gamecock fans should have been delighted to sit through what was an absolute snooze fest on Saturday, the 24-7 win against Vanderbilt, a game that, again, was like pretty comprehensive, not a lot to worry about. It was kind of a sloppy first quarter, but by and large, you always felt like Carolina was going to win the game. It didn't feel super convincing, but the numbers looked overwhelmingly positive. Everywhere you look in the box score, in general, how did the advanced metrics portray the Gamecocks' performance on Saturday?
0: To me, this is kind of the opposite of what we'd seen a little bit in the early stages of Will Muschamp's um, career. It reminded me a lot of the uh, Georgia game, actually, obviously the other way. Uh, the Georgia game two years ago, maybe. I think it was a 24-10 Georgia win. South Carolina got out to a lead with a nice catch from Brian Edwards and didn't really do anything the rest of the game. Um, kind of a boring game again. Um, But it was one of those games that um, South Carolina dominated the yardage, um, dominated time of possession, which is not usually a big thing. But in this game, um, it was a testament to how the offense stayed on the field. Um, Third down conversion percentage was the best I've seen in a long time. I haven't looked it up, but I assume it's the best under Wilmos Champ um, in any game this season or, I guess, any game in his tenure. A couple struggles in the red zone of fumble, Uh, turnover on downs could have made it a much bigger game but um, yeah I think you know there was at no point even really in that first quarter did I think okay South Carolina's gonna lose this game it was more just kind of a they took care of business they did what they were supposed to do and you know got out with a win
1: and that started with Ryan Holinsky who had his first I think really good performance since the Georgia game and even that was you know it's kind of hard to accurately assess because he played a half and he played well in that half and then Got injured but he seemed to be as healthy as he's been in weeks 24 of 31 254 256 somewhere in the mid 250s or mid 200s the touchdown obviously no interception continues to play impressively turnover free football how did he grade out on saturday
0: he was the third highest graded player on the offense second highest um full-time player nick muse graded out really well but played three snaps and of course you know went down with a knee injury um, he was the second highest graded player, and then Brian Edwards was the highest graded player of the um, of the game on either side uh, with an 88.5, which is his highest in his career. Um, not really surprising based on his um, stat line there, but um, Ryan Holinsky also graded out really well with a 75.3, so second highest player on the offense that I guess played more than a few snaps.
1: I think one of the other interesting parts of the game, because we've seen South Carolina Run the ball well for most of the year, struggle at times to pass it. And that sort of felt like it explained why the offensive performances were sometimes coming up short from where you felt like they should be. Cause it's like, oh, you can run the football, but you're a little bit one dimensional. Can't really throw the ball down in the field. This was a game where, I mean, they run the ball, they ran the ball well too, uh, but it was mostly the passing game. It was, you know, that, that touchdown pass that Ryan Helensky threw to Brian Edwards that kind of, you know, put the game away. And it was sort of on his shoulders in terms of, you know, making things happen. And again, while the running game wasn't bad. It was, you know, pretty solid. A little bit below where it normally is for Carolina, but you expect, you know, once the quarterback play picks up and you have a historic day where Brian Edwards is tying the school record for receptions in a single game, that that would help kind of pick up the slack. And all of a sudden, then Carolina would have a comprehensive offensive performance where they score forty-two points. And yet, it still didn't happen. So, did the running game advanced metrics indicate that they would hold back what was a pretty good uh, performance in the passing game?
0: The advanced metrics, um, it was South Carolina's worst game running the football by the advanced metrics um, of the season. Mm. Um, I believe the second worst of the last three years wow. um, by the advanced metrics, of course. Mm. Um, the advanced metrics have never really liked a lot of South Carolina's backup running backs. Um, so Tavian Feaster graded out really well. Um, and beyond that, Ryan Holinsky was the second best graded player in the running game. We wow. um, had Ryan that one Holinsky long keeper. A- he had a really great zone read, which they've been kind of holding for a while. I um, like that they put that on film. Um, Ryan Huliski did a great job, ran under bounds about five, uh, five yards early, but, of course, I'd rather him do that than get hurt. Um, but, yeah, I'm, everyone else, uh, Kevin Harris did not grade out well. Um, Deshaun Finwick graded out about average. Um, and Mondinson, of course, did not grade out well in his one snap. I believe he had – Um, one rush had the fumble and I don't think he saw the field the rest of the game. So um, yeah, not a great game um, in the running game. Um, But I think a lot of it was also situational football. South Carolina, um, you know, got a bad spot on a fourth down, um, went for it with like 10 seconds left in the game um, on the goal line. Didn't really look like they did all that much to get in very vanilla play call. Um, But, you know, the running game really did hold the, Offense back from what could have
1: been a really high scoring performance. That's interesting me. Uh, interesting to me surprises me just a little bit that it was the the very worst of the season. I think this team is really feeling uh, the impact of not having Rico Dowdle, and and I'm but kind of more than that. It, it's not about what Tavian isn't doing as number one, but it's like who's kind of behind him doing that. And uh, you know, obviously, it was Deshaun Finley that ended up being the leading rusher and sort of the number one guy on Saturday. Tavian Feaster getting banged up just a little bit, but like you said, it, it, Feaster still ran well that Fenway got over 100 yards. I'm surprised the numbers sort of bear that out. How much of that responsibility belongs on the offensive line? Obviously, Ja'Kai Moore starting in his first game at right tackle didn't go the distance. Eric Douglas came in to play right tackle for most of, if not the entire second half. So were there problems up front in this game, or was it mostly on the running backs?
0: So this season, South Carolina's offensive line has been remarkably average at um, run blocking. They've had no poor games in the running run blocking. Um, they've had no great games. The run blocking it was actually one of their better games um, with three of their of the five starters grading out in the good or the above average to good range in blocking um you have jakai moore didn't grade out very well in the running game um and neither did Javon Gwynn, but um stanley hutcherson um and jordan Rhodes all graded out in the high 60s low 70s for um run blocking which is better than they've really done all season so mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the other, I guess, piece of the offense that we've talked about a lot, and you had that great stat last week in terms of Carolina's non shy Smith, Brian Edwards receivers. Obviously we touched on Brian who had a tremendous game shy Smith, not playing with that hamstring injury. Josh Van, who's been plagued by drops all season long, didn't play the entire game. He broke his hand. Uh, another pass-catching option. Nick Muse, as you mentioned, only played three snaps, although you said he graded out pretty well in those three snaps. Uh, what about the numbers for the other guys? Xavier Leggett caught his first touchdown pass. A few more guys got involved. I think seven or eight res- different receivers had a reception for Carolina, including Ryan Helensky, who got his second reception of the season. Uh, but How did the rest of Carolina's receivers look? So they
0: uh, the grades are... Better than they've been, um, not saying much. Um, or Trey Smith graded out really well. Um, Xavier Leggett um, graded out decently well, um, a little bit above average, still not great. His route tree right now is very limited being a quarterback in high school, but I think we can all see the, um, the upside. He also did become the first uh, Gamecock receiver not named Shai Smith or Brian Edwards who passed 35 yards since Debo Samuel. So there's that. So, you know, progress there. Um, but I think it's more of flashes of potential than it has been consistent um, good performances from South Carolina's um, secondary receivers. And if you get Shy Smith back, I think that's all you really need. You don't need a third guy to be going out there and playing at an all SEC level. You really just need a guy that's going to be able to catch a pass on third down or get open every once in a while um, and, you know, pick up a couple yards after the catch with, Brian Edwards and shy Smith playing the way they are these past few weeks
1: right and since our conversation last week I've been thinking about that a lot and how important that is for Carolina how big of a factor that is in their I guess inability to Score 30 points against an FBS team, and I guess I've sort of come to the same conclusion that you have where you know You can pretty much count on one hand the number of teams that will go like truly three or four deep with outstanding depth at wide receiver what Carolina has with their first and second options should be enough Um, it would obviously be nice kind of a luxury if the guys behind it could pick up the slack but that's certainly not what's holding this team back so I guess as a way of wrapping up the offensive performance Saturday it do you mostly boil it down to the lack of productivity at least in a relative sense for South Carolina's running game as to why they only scored 24 points
0: I think uh, they weren't very explosive Saturday um, which is not you know not the worst thing in the world last year it was do or die in South Carolina the numbers were almost crazy it was basically a three and out or a 50 yard game and that those were basically the two options for South Carolina last year with just a little bit of exaggeration there Um, but this year they've been a lot more consistent been able to move the ball a lot better than last year even though the numbers look a little bit better last year Um, so I think it's not I think it's um, you know some unfortunate drops here and there Um, you think of the first drive there's a I thought it was a great play call I think on a Second and long or third and long, um, South Carolina ran three deep routes and had kind of cleared out for Josh Ban, who was wide open and dropped a pass um, that would have gone for maybe 20, 25 yards. Um, just plays like that that really have hurt the offense. Um, but Saturday, you look at South Carolina actually played well, did uh, move the ball well, didn't have a ton of possessions, um, didn't really go with a lot of tempo Saturday, kind of controlled the clock, kind of really just controlled the game. Didn't do too much, um, which you can, you know, we can debate whether that was right or wrong. Um, but it's not like they were sitting there punting twelve times in the game. It was more that, you know, you have a a poorly um, executed fourth down run that really was a first down. I thought Kevin Harris had first down on that um, um, on that short run at about the 25, 26 yard line, something like that. Um, I thought that was a, a decent play call. Missed a block. Um, you, you have small things like that that are holding this offense back, that the better offenses don't make those mistakes. And if they do make those mistakes, it may be a first down drop, and you come back and catch it on second down. South Carolina right now is just not moving it with enough explosion to stay behind the chains. If they, get ahead, if they stay ahead of the chains and get four or five yards on first down, they're going to move it until somebody stops them. Um, but if they drop a pass, if they miss a block, anything like that, there's just not a lot of explosion right now in the offense to be able to make it up on second and third and long. And that being said, they did play really well on second and third and long. It was actually their uh, best game of the season um, on on third downs. I think I alluded to that earlier. Um, but when this team gets behind the chains, it's just not built to um, have a 25-yard gain on third down. I think about third down 18, there's a great play call to get Brian Edwards open. You have a really bad holding call or a really bad holding penalty on uh, Kyle Markway, just kind of an unnecessary hold that moves it from a first down on third and 18 to third and 22.
1: Right. And I think Um, there's a similar play design. They picked up another third and long. It was either maybe like 11 or 12 also in the second half, where it was basically the same thing. You just hit Brian Edwards on a little shallow crossing route and let him take it afterwards. And they were able to convert up maybe their first third and long of the season. At least the first one that I can remember.
0: At least in the passing or, um, by passing it, South Carolina is actually one of the best in the country, actually, at converting third and longs. But they're all on the ground, which is just mm. the weirdest thing ever. Um, I think they they had four or five games in the middle of the season with a third and ten converted with a draw play, or with some sort of running play, swing pass, something like that, um, which is just kind of interesting that that you know that would be the case. Um, but yeah, at least in the passing game, um, I think they trusted Tolinski a little bit more in this game than they have in the past, and I don't know if that's there was. Um, no fear in Vandy's third string quarterback going down the field and making South Carolina pay for a mistake. But um, I thought they did a little bit better th- this game specifically um, throwing the ball down the field, um, taking their shots, even if it wasn't a deep pass, maybe it would be a, you know, 15 yard pass or a crossing route or something like that, that they maybe just hadn't thrown a lot uh, this year.
1: I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Cause I didn't tell you, I was going to ask you this. So if you don't have it uh, available, just let me know. But, did are there season long team stats that you can access in terms of explosive plays? Because I and now that we're talking about it, and since that has been sort of a common theme this year, like the the explosive plays that Carolina has gotten have been huge. You know, the Shy Smith touchdown to start the Tennessee game, obviously the Brian Edwards touchdown to start the second half of the Missouri game, but it hasn't. It doesn't feel like there's been a lot of in between stuff. So, do you happen to know where they rank either in the SEC or nationally in terms of explosive plays?
0: Um, I can look it up. Um, at some point, but. Uh, the one thing I will say is that they have, the, they have six explosive plays from players not named Shai Smith and Brian Edwards. Um, seven, I guess, if you're considering um, Xavier LeGette's 19-yard touchdown. Um, but they only have – only four players on the team have a play of 20-plus yards, um, one of them being Chavis Dawkins, um, and I think, I, I think against maybe Charleston Southern or something like that. Um, and then Kevin Harris with a long play against Charleston Southern. But if you take that out against power five teams, if it's not Shy Smith and Brian Edwards, uh, nobody is getting really far down the field.
1: Hmm. Um, I, I guess uh, you mentioned Kevin Harris. There were, I guess, a couple of bad things from this game. We mentioned the Nick Muse tight end and Josh Van, Van breaking his hand and being out for the rest of the regular season. The other casualty this game is Kevin Harris' season-long Pro football focus grade, which was previously like 97 after that Charleston Southern game, and I imagine that dropped precipitously after Saturday.
0: Yeah, it's not nearly as good. Um, a lot of it has to do with you miss a block as a fullback, and when you have like one play as a fullback and miss a block, you're really putting yourself behind. Um, I'll look it up in a second, but um, I will say that with his explosiveness against Charleston Southern, a low grade in this game is not going to hurt him as much um, as you know, having a a decent grade because he's played consistently well. When you have, especially at running back, um, you'd rather have your running back, you know, have 88 yards on 10 carries, or, you know, 10, 15 carries and have one of those carries be a 75-yarder than for a running back to be getting five yards a carry.
1: Hmm. Um, On the other side of the ball, it was a pretty smothering performance from South Carolina. Obviously only give up seven points. 189 total yards which is the lowest that I can remember in a while held Vanderbilt to 3 of 12 on third downs obviously forced a couple of turnovers as you mentioned won the time of possession battle Vanderbilt I think only ran 53 maybe 54 56 something like that plays on offense so pretty dominant defensive performance but with Vanderbilt being down to its third string quarterback for almost the entire game after Mo Hassan didn't start the game because he was in concussion protocol and then Riley Neal went out Kalijah Lipscomb sat out of the game. He was dressed out, but he was apparently sitting on the sideline because of some personal reasons, Um, and, and, you know, only so much that Keyshawn Vaughn can do. He ended up having, I think, a fine game. It was, you know, 20 carries, 87 yards, somewhere in the neighborhood. But what do the numbers look like for South Carolina defensively in this game?
0: So South Carolina had several um, strong defensive outings. Um, You have T.J. Brunson had his career-best outing, according to PFF grade. Um, play, he's played well against, this year against the pass, which he did not do very well last year, um, but ended up with a um, 82 uh, defensive grade. Um, R.J. Roderick also ended up above 80. Uh, Javon Kinlaw was, came back to form with an 85.5 uh, defensive rating. So you have a lot of guys that really put up um, some strong numbers. Danny Fennell and um, just 11 snaps put up a 77.5 defensive grade. Um, and then you have the tumultuous roller coaster of a season of JT eBay with another uh, 70 plus um, PFF grade, which would be his fifth of the year. Um, he's done it in all four wins and he did, also did it in the Florida game. And he, his other three grades have been below 50. So he had a good game and the defense kind of goes as JT eBay goes at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, so some, really strong, uh, some strong numbers. Um, not really any poor numbers. Um, Ernest Jones didn't grade out very well. He missed a few tackles. Troy um, Green didn't grade out very well. He also missed a tackle or two. Um, and then just some very average games from some of South Carolina's backups. But um, overall, some strong games at the top of um, the defense, especially at safety, which South Carolina has not gotten a lot of over the past few
1: years. Yeah, I guess not terribly surprising, but really interesting that the numbers are that dramatic in terms of JTE based performances and wins versus losses. That's kind of funny. Uh, Ernest Jones, I kind of like in my head he had a good game just because he had a couple of big hits, including the one that got played and, and circulated a bunch on Twitter, where he just it looked like he decapitated the guy. I think even the I think the commentator, I don't even remember who was calling the game on uh, ESPN or SEC Network or whatever, said that. Uh, <laughs> who did he hit? It wasn't it wasn't Vaughn. It was um, was it the other running back? Was hey, it a receiver? Know. I think it he was right? a running back. Okay. Well, whoever he hit, he said, oh, yeah, that guy could have gone as the headless horseman for Halloween. So it was a huge hit. So I, I remember that part of the game uh, fondly and just in my head, that, makes, that means that he had a good performance. But uh, the other guy that stood out to me uh, was very disruptive, obviously had the two sacks in the game, was Aaron Sterling, who I, I think has had an awesome season. Did he have a really nice grade or was he kind of in that average range?
0: So he's been consistently slightly above average, which when you put that on the year... Will you know every game that he is slightly above average push, pushes his PFF grade higher and higher and higher. So he's really one of those weird cases where he's had four game or five games this season above 70, which is you know fairly good. Um, but his defensive grade is above all but one of his um, game grades. So his entire season grade um, is really pushed up by the fact that he's only had one below average grade all season. And I'm not quite sure why he ended up with that. Um, it was the Georgia game. He had four total pressures against Georgia, um, three quarterback hurries, a hit, um, five tackles, um, two for um, stops or for loss, um, and ended up with his lowest season or um, lowest grade of the season against Georgia. Other than that, he's put up um, consistently above average grades, um, which he's done really um, throughout his career at South Carolina. He was the highest graded defender other than Sky Moore two years ago um, as a freshman, which is kind of interesting because I don't remember him doing a lot his freshman year. Um, But PFF loved him his freshman year. um, Had kind of an off, you know, on and off game uh, season last year with um, some injuries. uh, Really struggled tackling last year. Missed seven tackles um, last year. And then comes back this year, um, is second on the team with 24 pressures. Um, leads the sec and sacks um, really has become a disruptive force and i'll be the first one to say that i expected him to lose his starting job by week two or three at the beginning of the season um, i really thought it'd be Inigbare that would come in and be that second defensive end um, and it hasn't been and so he's he's played really well and i think that um, that's got to be encouraging for south
1: carolina fans going forward yeah, I was also pretty excited about Bari He flashed a lot his freshman year and is, I mean has really been solidly that backup. And I, I think, I mean, it seems like he has played reasonably well in that role, but I, I'm kind of with you where I thought he was going to get a, a bigger role. I don't remember off the top of my head how many snaps Enigbari played on Saturday. I don't actually remember seeing him, so I don't know if he even recorded any statistics. But um, Aaron Sterling, I, we've probably talked about him a couple times on the show, not as much as Javon Kinlaw because, you know, we got to get our quota. But it, the, the fact that he is as explosive and disruptive as he is, you mentioned, you know, near the top, of the sec and sacks i think he's also near the top and tackles for loss it, It's just it's so impressive he just has to be i don't know if it's just fast twitch i don't know if it's like speed that leads to explosiveness or if he's just incredibly strong i need to ask jeff dillman you know in terms of guys for their size in the weight room who gets after it the most and i'd be surprised to not hear his name because he's just been he's been fun to watch and he i think he has another year right he's a redshirt junior
0: yeah He's got another year. Um, I really would not see him going pro. Um, So he would be that guy that um, I don't know if they would transition him to buck next year um, or just kind of leave him where he is at defensive end. Um, But he has played really well this year. And um, I think it's a big part of the reason that South Carolina's defense has been improved this year.
1: One of the other things that I like about pro football focus, and you've mentioned this a couple times for a couple of different players. I really appreciate that it values consistency as much as it does. So you can have a guy like Aaron Sterling who may not have that one game where he really jumps off the page, but the entire body of work gets credited just because he's doing it week in and week out, which is, uh, which is really cool. The other thing about pro football focus in terms of how it assesses trends, how it looks at the big picture, you've mentioned this before as well, is that it doesn't really take into consideration the quality of your opponent. So that's why I'm kind of left... Not feeling any strong way about this Vanderbilt game again. The defense did what they needed to. It was a pretty consistent performance, basically with the exception of that first drive from Vanderbilt. But doing it against a third string quarterback and you know a wide receiver core that wasn't that good to begin with, and they've lost their real like only playmaking option. And then Jared Pinkney, who is a guy that was a preseason All American tight end, didn't do much. Carolina's done a surprisingly good job defending tight ends. You know Kyle Pitts, Albert Okui, uh, now Pinkney. Like none of these guys have really gotten. Um, at Carolina. So how much do you think should be taken away from this defensive performance?
0: I think the biggest thing is the turnaround. And yes, we could talk about quality of opponent, but especially in the secondary with a young secondary, um experienced secondary, but young, um you're talking you know four so- or three sophomores and a true freshman, um, you know mostly have played played together all season. Um, but you look at that Tennessee game that was just awful on so many levels. and Um, I I think they were really um, wanting to come out and prove that Tennessee was was the exception, that that's not who they are. Um, And you can talk about um, quality of opponent all you want, but um, including, you know, I think we all saw J.C. Horn um, got really burned on that uh, double move. Great film study by Vanderbilt. Um, He and Will Muschamp separately in press conference um, give hats off to them, said that they – looked at that um, quick out a lot. They studied it on film um, and Vanderbilt came out on a third and two. And the first time they ran it, they ran a double move off of it and um, no safety help behind because I think they were in some sort of a zero coverage look or something like that. And so um, to bounce back from that, including that the starting secondary allowed four catches for 52 yards on the game. And what, 26 of that came on one play. Um, And so, you know, talk about the whoever the um, opponent is all you want, but a 44 passer rating, um, including, you know, the touchdown um, is is really good. And I think it's a a good turnaround from Tennessee last week. um, That was just not good and not where the secondary wants to be. And so to come in and have a really dominant performance, um, even if it was against Vanderbilt, um, Really have to help them going forward. Um, playing this week a, a very sneaky good App State team with potentially this is a maybe a hot take, but the third or fourth best receiving core this team will see all season. Wow. Um, I, I think it's I think it's good to um, you know for them to gain that confidence going into that game.
1: Certainly, yeah. And whatever changes the secondary may have made adjustments. or or just, you know, like having a fire lit under their asses will certainly be on display um, if that does prove to be the case. And certainly they have more playmakers than Vanderbilt because that's not uh, particularly hard to do. And we've seen already this season how much uh, a win like this and a kind of smothering defensive performance can help in terms of the confidence. Carolina beat up on a really bad Kentucky offense had a great defensive performance and that seemed to, to help them carry over a swagger into that Georgia game where they were able to you know go ahead and force four turnovers out of the Bulldogs so it's something that doesn't really show up on paper it's something that's hard to exactly describe or put your finger on but is, is really important uh, before we get off of the, the defensive performance I'm curious about the flip side uh, you mentioned it doesn't really matter who you're playing against I am curious though Obviously, a lot of first drives are scripted. Vanderbilt scored on its opening drive and, and probably or certainly would not have if they had not gotten a, a generous holding call on Israel Mukwamu that I thought was a little bit tic tacky. They would have punted it right back to Carolina, but you give them credit. They took that first down and they marched it the rest of the way down the field. Riley Neal didn't play after that drive. How did Riley Neal grade out versus Deuce Wallace?
0: So let me pull those up. From my test, obviously, I think Riley Neal graded out better um, but looking at the numbers right now, he graded out. Um, Neil graded out a 64.5, um, so not great. Only 14 plays, so you know that's obviously has to do something with it. But Deuce Wallace graded out into 29, so there's the flip side of that. Um, which, granted, it doesn't uh, PFF doesn't differentiate between, um, you know, oh the defense played really well, you didn't play that bad. You know, he had a couple um, couple times. South Carolina jumps and passes, and so he could really get, you know, get his grade negatively impacted by, say, R.J. Roderick's interception. And you can still say on the flip side, that was a great play by R.J. Roderick to recognize the out route there, to jump the route, and to make the interception. Um, you can give credit to R.J. Roderick and at the same time say that, okay, Deuce Wallace's path, that, that wasn't great. That wasn't the best decision.
1: Yeah, a classic, both things can be true. I was just happy that, and I said this in, in the monologue before I came on, I was just happy that we get to talk about R.J. Ryder doing something positive in coverage because I feel like uh, he has probably given up more plays than he has made in that respect this season. I don't know if that's entirely a fair characterization because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that seems like it's been the case, so good to see him make a good play on the ball.
0: Very quickly on that, um, his, he gets a bad reputation for his um, defense, but or his, I guess, past defense. Um, but he really has not been that bad. He, no, granted, he was the best player in coverage, um, second best game in coverage of any South Carolina player this season. Um, had an eighty-five or eighty-seven point five. Um, but also, I just you know have to point out that RJ Roderick's actually pretty decent in coverage um, this year. He's got a sixty-seven point three coverage grade. Last year he had a sixty-nine coverage grade, but had um, several strong performances last year. Had two horrible games, one of them being actually Coastal Carolina last season in his first um, first ever game, gave up uh, two big plays um, in garbage time there, um, and then really put together some strong games before Clemson, which I think we can kind of just chalk that up a little bit to uh, South Carolina was down to walk-ons on freshmen. I, I was afraid in that game last year that I may have to um, be called upon to go play defense for South mm-hmm. Carolina because they had so many guys injured. Um, But he played really poorly in that one. Um, Numbers don't really say so, but PFF thought so. Um, And other than that, had very, very strong coverage grades in a lot of his other games. Um, So a little bit, um, I think that PFF struggles sometimes to identify, which of course they would, um, identify what coverages teams are playing and things like that. But I think R.J. Roderick is more one that's um, prone to making the sophomore mistake then he is just struggling in coverage, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think it could be the case. I remember early in the year just wondering about Israel Mukwamu in, in terms of how effective he was as a true cover corner. And I think, you know, dropped off a little bit since the Georgia game, because obviously you're not going to have three interceptions every game. But I think you were the first person to point out to me, it's not even that the numbers are that bad. It's not even that he's allowed that many catches. It's just all of them are memorable. And I think back about the plays that R.J. Roderick has allowed in the secondary and pass coverage, and it seems like they've all been, you know, big moments for the other teams, and and the timing is as damning as the actual yardage or result of the play. And so maybe that's why some of those stick out a little bit more in your mind, um, which may account for it feeling like he's a little bit worse than his grades would otherwise indicate.
0: Yeah, that would definitely make sense. And, you know, the other side of that is, well, you know, if you give up a big play in a big moment, that's worse than giving up a, you know, 20-yard catch in the first quarter of a, you know, small game. But um, definitely I I think it's sophomores um, and freshmen in the secondary. And South Carolina's secondary seems to struggle when the um, defensive line struggles. And when the defensive line has been good, um, the secondary has been good. And I think that's just – something that's true throughout football. Um, No matter who you play for, if your defensive line plays well, um, your secondary is going to play better.
1: It's a beautiful and often frustrating symbiosis between every moving piece of the machine that is a football team on either side of the ball. Were there any other trends, numbers that you wanted to get to before we get out of here?
0: Um, This game was kind of, I don't want to say you throw it away. Um, It's just, I won't remember this game. I think uh, Colin Taylor and I were talking after the game. Um, You know, it's a win. 24-7, it's going to be – I was at the game, uh, covered the game. It's a game maybe a year from now I won't remember existed, Um, (laughs) which Colin joked, he goes, kind of like the Vanderbilt game two years ago, and I said, I don't remember the Vanderbilt game. (laughs) um, But, you know, not a lot that you can take away, really big takeaways from the game. Um, I think, honestly, Brian Edwards, the past maybe three weeks, it's been the first time that I think he kind of deserves the records that he's getting. Mm. Um, before the year, I've always thought he's a very solid contributor. He, he's going to make an NFL roster someday, but he really is more of a product of, a, you know, more pass-happy offense and staying four years than really a receiver that just goes out and dominates. Um, I wouldn't even say that he would be the best receiver on the team, maybe two two or three of his four years. Um, but this year without Debo Samuel, without another um really go-to guy. Um even Chaz Smith had a slow start to the season. Um he's really come out and become one of I think the best receivers in the SEC if not the country.
1: I'm really glad you said that because I very distinctly remember having this conversation with a friend of mine and my roommate as we were leaving Bank of America Stadium after the North Carolina game to start the season thinking, "Man, It's kind of a shame that Jake Bentley and Brian Edwards are going to own all the passing and receiving records in Carolina history, because it's not really going to be reflective of who those guys are. And as it turns out, Jake Bentley is not going to have those records, which is, you know, I don't want to crush him because he's, you know, he got hurt. And obviously that's not good. But If you're someone that's just looking at the record books it probably would be an unfair representation of the history of quarterbacks in south carolina for jake bentley to be number one in all of those categories and i kind of felt the same way about brian edwards it's like man i'd rather have debo than brian edwards i'd rather have maybe pharaoh cooper than brian edwards and alshon jeffrey and Sidney rice and you know all these other guys zola davis and you know however far back you want to go obviously sterling sharp i'd rather have all those guys than brian edwards but he as you pointed out is really I guess, earning his legacy. It feels bad to say it like that. I feel like I'm, I'm sliding him or taking something away from him like he hadn't earned it to this point. But I, I feel like exactly like you're saying, this season, and especially these last couple of weeks, he's earned it. And now I feel a lot more comfortable with him being at the top of those lists. Yeah.
0: I think the weirdest Brian Edwards stat that kind of sums up his career is he's had two career games with one reception and broke the all-time – Um, receiving or receptions record at at South Carolina before he ever had a double-digit reception game, which just feels like the most Brian Edwards stat you can throw out, is that not only was it his career high and tied the school record, it was the first time he's gone over nine catches in a game in his career. Um, And he did that the week after he broke the receptions record, which is just kind of a testament to how just solidly um, above average he's been throughout most of his career until Ryan Helensky got here. And, I mean, listen, he's on pace, um, if, even if you throw out the North Carolina game, one reception for six yards. Um, with Ryan Holinsky, he's on pace to become the second receiver in school history to have 950 receiving yards, um, five touchdowns, and 80 receptions. He's actually on pace to become the third player in school history with 80 receptions in a season, um, which just seems remarkable to me. But he's putting up numbers that are rivaling even Alshon Jeffrey's
1: 2010 season. Wow. Mr. Consistency, and I think very appropriate then you look at the the list of the names of the other guys that have had 14 receptions. I don't remember them off the top of my head, but the one that obviously jumps out is Kenny McKinley, who I always thought of, you know, never had the game-breaking ability of Sidney Rice or some of his, his other counterparts that he played with, but was just a guy that you always counted on. I, I know this isn't an official stat, but it feels like he never had a drop in his entire career. He was just sure-handed, always in the right place at the right time, seemed like he was always picking up a third down conversion, something like that, and I think Brian Edwards is has kind of filled that mold, mold in terms of being consistency. And then I think what we've seen this year, what, we, what he's added to his game and what he's added to his upside in terms of his ability to, to go pro and be a useful wide receiver in the NFL is more of that explosiveness that wasn't really showcased in his first three years at Carolina. He's shown speed. He's shown the ability to, to run through tackles and evade tackles. It's just been it's been probably my fo- my, my most enjoyable part of this season.
0: Yeah, and I, I think 10 years from now, we're going to look back and still remember Brian Edwards' moments. Uh, I, I'm still going to remember the Louisiana Tech, you know, Hail Mary catch that um, saved, really saved South Carolina's 2017 season. I'm going to remember the one-handed catch um, against Tennessee. Um, I'm going to remember a lot of these Brian Edwards moments that I didn't know if I would remember, you know, five years or five years from now, mm-hmm. like I do with. Alshon Jeffrey, like I do with Debo Samuel, like I do with Pharaoh Cooper, a lot of those guys. And so I think it, it really, he's, he's earning those records this year, as, as weird as that sounds.
1: Yeah. Well, that seems like as good a place to wrap up as any. The story of the game was, like you said, it was kind of a boring game, vanilla game, kind of forgettable. The one shining star, I guess, in the game was, uh, was Brian Edwards, and hopefully he can do it again for the rest of the season, because... Goodness knows, Carolina needs all the help that they can get offensively. Hopefully, they crack 30 points against an FBS opponent. At this point, I wouldn't bet on it, but I guess you just got to hope that the defense keeps holding opponents to about 20 points if you want to keep winning any of these last three football games. Well, great stuff as always. Thank you so much. Don't forget to check out his website, prep-ra.com, prep-ra.com for. I mean, basically anything that you need in terms of recruiting. It's a lot of tutoring, SAT prep. There's even football prep. Anything that you need to help get your student athlete ready to be a student athlete at the next level, Prep RA is the best place to do that. Also, read them on Gamecock Central. Follow them on Twitter at WHELMS21. And Will, we'll talk to you next Monday. Sounds good to me. Thanks so much again to Will. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at WHelms21. And that'll about do it for this episode of the Get Cocky Podcast. Just want to remind you all real quick to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and it's the whole Gamecock Central podcast feed. So when I come back with Wes and Chris on Wednesday for another Carolina podcast to look back on the Vanderbilt games, more big picture stuff, and look ahead to Appalachian State, you'll go ahead and get that automatically in your feed. So rate, review, subscribe. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you Wednesday.